So we're back in Mark's Gospel and his account of what Jesus was like down on earth. So we're looking at Jesus, what he was like down on earth. There's a great word from Fee this morning, wasn't it, about God's heart for us to get to know Jesus more, to look at Jesus, to keep looking at him, keep trying to develop our understanding of him, because that's where, that's where we get the clearest idea of who our God is and what he's about is. Well done, Fee. Thanks for bringing that. And we're seeing this down-to-earth Jesus from this down-to-earth guy. Straight talking Mark. But I want to start. What should we start with? Let's, um, let's start with a game, shall we? I like games. Do you like games? I'm not sure I always like games. Sometimes I don't like England games. But I like this game. We're going to play fake or genuine today. What I want you to do is, if you think that those are fake Ray-Bans in a minute, put your hands up. Or we'll start with genuine. If you, are, you think they are genuine Ray-Bans, put your hands up. And then after that, if you think, no, they are not genuine, those are absolute counterfeit. They're from that bloke who comes around the estate with the van. I want you to tell me no fake afterwards, if you would. So anybody who thinks that those are genuine, uh, authentic Ray-Bans, please up, hand up now. Thank you very much. Oh, look, over here as well. So we've got two. We've got two. Uh, and who thinks they're not authentic then? Okay, how do you know they're not authentic? What's that? Any, any? It doesn't say Ray, but you've had a good look at that. You've, you've observed, you've looked at the detail. Uh, you're right. Uh, they're too big as well. Uh, not for my head. You're right, actually, everybody. Those are actually Ray Bonds. Uh, that, there lies the first, as I ran over my jokes, as I have to with my wife, the first one sh- which she vetoed for today. There are more. There is one that snuck through, though, that I didn't run by her. Uh, and she told me it was not okay to use uh, my dodgy Chinese knockoff voice for those as well. So we've avoid some ra- avoided some racism this morning, which is a good start to a preach, I've heard. Right, next up. What about that? Genuine Rolex. Yes or no? Fake or genuine? Got Mickey Mouse there? What do you think? Can I have hands up for yes, that is a genuine Rolex? Genuine Rolex. Ooh, we've got about a third of you there. third of you there? Less than a third of you. What about fake then? What about fake? You think that's a fake Rolex? You have been duped. That is a genuine Rolex that would set you back £2,928, which is entirely not worth it. That's a watch of Mickey Mouse. Do people actually buy that? I don't even know how that business operates. Anyway, I have not got £2,928 to spare. Let's move on. Let's move on. Another one. I like this one. Can you see her all right? Is this our sovereign or is it a fake? Is this the good lady queen herself? You can't quite see her face, which is a real shame there. Go on, have a go. What do you reckon? Genuine? Genuine? Off with her head? Calm down. <laughs> we're not at a socialist rally this morning. We're at church. What? So, so we think, we think, anyone who thinks genuine? Genuine. We've got a couple of believers there. Yeah? Okay? And everybody else is fake? Yeah, all right. You're right. That's Doris from accounts. <laughs> and is this, the last of all, Chris Butland? Am <laughs> <laughs> I? Genuine Chris Butland or not? What have we got? No? Just imagine it with a bit of beard on. No, Chris Butland's never been on a boat. You're right, that's Ellen MacArthur, the world-famous sailor. Right. There's some bit of silliness. 
But actually, uh, Mark is all about this game. It's at the very heart of the Gospel of Mark. Okay, what he wants you to do is play this game with Jesus, with the information he presents you to. He's asking the question all the way through. Do you think he's fake or do you think he's genuine? I think he's genuine. We heard that great starter last, uh, last week, didn't we, from Chris, about why, how Mark starts this. He's saying, I think he's the genuine article. Let me show you why so you can make up your own mind. So Chris told us last week, just touching on the very first verse, which is all he covered, leaving us with a lot of work to do today. He touched just on the very first book, but this, is, this book is the good news story about Jesus. You know, this is Mark's ADHD, quickfire Twitter version of what happened when Jesus came to earth. And Chris introduces to the fact that there's two words he thinks summarize who Jesus is. One, the Messiah, the promised Messiah. That he was the guy that promised right the way throughout Scripture, expected through all of the Old Testament, right the way through the prophecies about what would come in the future, that he would be the saviour of the Jewish people and beyond. That there was this guy coming, and Mark's saying, look, this is the guy, this is the time, this is who he is, this is what I want to show you, true or false, fake or genuine. And the Son of God is the other name Chris introduced us to last week, a name given to an expected, promised king, but not like just any king. This was an eternal God king who would sit on the throne of David forever. And what he's saying at the beginning, at the outset, is this guy that we're looking at, I want to show you that he's the Messiah and he is the promised God God king. True or genuine, true or false, make up your minds. And chapter one, he dives straight into this purpose, the chapter that we're looking looking at today. But what he's asking us to do right the way through this chapter is to do what this person's here on this, this image is doing that you can't see so well. They're examining a diamond. And he's showing us that right from the get-go, right from the outset of this book, from the moment Jesus comes onto the scene, or even before then, actually, as we'll see, like there are marks of authenticity that if you examine, if you look at, you will see that he's the authentic Messiah. These are the things that he's looking at through this. So what I want to do today with you is I just want to look through this passage. We're going to read it, then we're going to look at just some of the marks of authenticity. Then we can get on with the main event, the game, and where England win 5-0, man of faith here. (laughs) Shall we start? Shall we dive straight in? So I want you to be examining it along with Mark as we do today. Go today. So fake or genuine, how does it start? In the beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. (laughs) As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I, I think this is so interesting, a starting point. Because straight away, after his huge statement about this is the gospel of Jesus, 
the Messiah and the Son of God, this expected God King who's going to save everyone, what we see here is Mark goes straight to the fact that there's a weird bloke called John, surnamed the Baptist, who lived on the fringes of society, wore itchy, smelly clothes and a belt, and liked eating insects dipped in wild honey, and went around telling everybody in his local vicinity that they were not okay with God, that they were in trouble, whether Jew or Gentile, that they needed to repent and be washed totally clean, to be purified in a new way and make way for the Messiah who was coming. John, I don't know about you, but as I read about John, it conjures up some sort of picture of a, a roll Dahl, twit, stig of a dump-like character who's just mooching around. He's those, one of those people that if you see on the street, you would clearly be eyes down. I'm going to get by. I am busy today, and I don't want what you're selling. Kind of character. Do you know, I'm like, Mark, if you're going to sell to me that this is the Messiah, if that's what your purpose is, and you want to you you know, get me on board with that, surely you should be saying, and straight away there was this scholar of the day who looked back through the book and he identified three or four things that made Jesus exactly who he said he was. And there was a doctor who realized this as well. I'd be looking for those kind of things. But Mark, although simple and straight-talking, is way more savvy than me. He's more clued up. And he realizes that John's very presence in this story, in announcing that you need to make your path straight again for the coming Messiah is the first key detail we need to take note of. It's the first of his marks. You see, although weird to us, key prophecies from hundreds of years earlier had highlighted that the Savior God King, his arrival would be announced and proclaimed by someone in the desert who was a bit strange like one of the Old Testament prophets. If you read about any of them, they did a whole load of strange stuff. It would be in a wilderness. And his whole message would be, get your path straight, Get yourself ready. The one who brings God's holy presence is on the way. He's coming. So Mark opens the whole account of Jesus, his whole story, with this fact. See this mark of authenticity. See this mark of genuineness. It's like the Ray-Ban sign on the side of those glasses. Jesus' life was so like the numerous prophecies that spoke about the Messiah King and how he would enter his world, that even the strangeness of the man who first identified Jesus as the Messiah King was spoken about beforehand by Isaiah. When you're making your decision, he says, over whether he's authentic or whether he is false, don't overlook this bit of evidence. Take note of it. Let it land with you. Let it, let it be there as a mark. That's his first thing. Second up, what's going on from here? read this bit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. He's from down south, isn't he? The Spirit immediately then drove him out, Jesus out, into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. So firstly, we've had John. Next up, we have the entrance of Jesus. The main guy enters the story. 
And the story continues to be a little out of the ordinary, doesn't it, to say the least. In fact, we realise that perhaps the, the strange guy eating locusts in the desert is the least weird thing we're going to see today. No, firstly, we're told Jesus went to John and was baptised. He was plunged into the waters of the Jordan completely and pulled up again and washed from head to toe, showing he agreed completely with John's message. There's something crooked in our paths with God that we need to be cleansed and purified of to be restored to God. There's nothing too strange about that just yet. But then Mark highlights that something incredible happened when Jesus came up out of the washing. Something miraculous took place. As Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were torn open. The Holy Spirit came to rest on him in a visible form. And a booming voice rang out, heard by all presents, bearing in mind there are crowds from everywhere here. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And straight after this, we read that he's swept away by this very announcing presence where we read he encounters Satan, one who in the Bible is the chief spiritual enemy and betrayer of God. He is like the main bad guy in the story, the the Thanos, to reference a bit of pop culture here, in the Bible. He's called the accuser, the king of the air, the one who works against the purposes of God to lead and keep people away from God. And we read how Satan tries to lead Jesus away from God and fails. You know, Mark's, if you look at it, Mark's second key thing here is simple. The second thing he wants us to take note of. He said, look, had you been there like the crowds at the start of this ministry, God, the Father and the Holy Spirit both made it plainly and remarkably obvious to all present that Jesus was the eternal Messiah, God King. That it was his ministry that people had been waiting for. Mark here is saying, look, one of the key marks of authenticity is who announced Jesus when he entered the ring. You know, this wasn't some Don King sales pitch. This boxing promoter sales pitch. Here's the second joke that my wife Vito, she wouldn't let me do a Don King impression for you this morning as well. So I think it's unfair. But she's a wise lady. It wasn't this kind of guy. God announced it. Audibly announced it. Jesus has entered the ring. He is my son and I am well pleased with him. And straight away, he began his first round bout against this top dog, this king of evil. And you know what? In that little bit we read there, that very quick, which takes a bigger account somewhere else, do you know what Mark just wants you to know? He knocked him clean out. Where everyone else before had fallen and succumbed to temptation, like right back at the garden and since, Jesus, Jesus came into the world and he overcame And he knocked the main man out in just one go. Two lines in Mark. Do you know, this is the second of Mark's marks. Take note about the prophecy and the intricacy of the prophecy. And take note, Jesus was introduced into the ring by God himself. 
And he came in the power of the Spirit to overcome all spiritual bad stuff. Mark, throughout this gospel, does not pamper to a Western discomfort with spiritual ideas. He is just so straightforward and simple. He's like, look, this is what people saw when they saw Jesus. You can either like it or lump it. You can deal with it. All I'm doing is I'm giving you the accounts of what people saw in their day when he was on earth. And unashamedly through the accounts of, unashamedly through the accounts of what happened in Jesus' life in this world, he shows us that we see that the world is made up more than just the physical. We see the physical. We see the effect of the physical on people. But we also see that it is spiritual as well. It flies in the face of our worldview, our main one, that if it's not measurable, it's fairy tale. He says, no, no, no. Actually, when Jesus came in the world, you saw something more than just the physical. You saw spiritual things happen when people encountered him. As we're going to see, something happened in the spirit of people who met him. Something happened to evil spirits as they were affecting people. The spirit of God moved, showing that there was a whole other spiritual side to this world that you can miss if you don't look deep enough. And Mark is just saying, look, this is what you saw when Jesus was around. This is what he showed us. Deal with it. Move on. So next up, we see Jesus. Just it's all focused in on Jesus's ministry beginning after after this opening bit. For the rest of the chapter, we're devoted to the opening weeks and months of, of Jesus's ministry in and around Gal- Galilee. And it's, it's a slightly bigger chunk of scripture. I just want to read to you now, and then we'll come back to some points. But it's worth listening to in one go. Because you start to get a sense of the sudden explosion of life and activity that occurs as Jesus' ministry began fully. I want to listen to how many times he uses the word immediately. I've got to be honest, grammatically this really annoys me. Because it was drilled into me at school that if you use the same word over and over again, you're not being creative enough with the way you write. But, But it is really important. So I have to get over my irritation with scripture and crack on. So let's have a listen, let's have a read. Bear with me for it. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing 
him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they, they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told her about him. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go out to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, he stretched out his hands and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Ken, how many times did you say immediately? Were you not? I totally had it on you to count that. Sorry, Ken. Seven. Seven. Okay, great. We've got other accountants in the room, definitely. Like, you get such uh, a sense, don't you? Do you? Of the groundswell. How intriguing he was. The scale of the numbers of people he started to impact. Just how many people, when they saw, heard of him, knew that he was what they needed. So quickly the crowds grow, don't they, around Jesus' presence. It happens to the point where he's telling people to remain silent, to calm things down a bit, which they don't do. I just want to, we finish this, a bit of a side note. Telling people to be silent is a theme you're going to see throughout the first half of the book. Over and over again, he will tell demons and individuals, don't say a thing. Okay, I've healed you, don't mention it to other people. And rarely is he listened to. It's a strange evangelistic way of going about it, isn't it? Can you imagine if we were like, guys, we really don't want you to say anything about Jesus. We don't want you to tell people about this bloke. I'm sure it wouldn't be long before the letters started coming in to say, listen, we're a bit worried about Matt. But what's it about? Look, it's simply about what Chris Butland introduced us to last week. Although Jesus was the Messiah King, he was not going to do what people expected of him. Lead a military violent revolution to overthrow the Roman oppressors. Instead, as we see in this passage that we've just read when he starts, he's more interested in building on what John had said. Repent, believe the good news that God's kingdom, the kingdom you're looking for, 
has come to earth in me already. You need to repent and be changed, and then you need to look to me. It doesn't need a military revolution. It just needs a a sorry and a new relationship with me. So as people become convinced by the same thing Mark's drawing our eyes to, that he is the Messiah, Jesus doesn't want them to run away with half the message. He doesn't want to build a house without them to build a house without the foundations. You know, there are so many confused ideas about who Jesus is in the world today. Jesus throughout this book is trying to head this off at the path, saying, hold back. He's saying, you will see what I'm about, who I am, if you stick with me, if you follow me. You're going to see it's about much more than an earthly kingdom. Until you understand this, don't go about spreading the news. Until you know what the good news is, don't go speaking it. What are the points in this final one? What are the marks here? Let's just run through them. Listen, what we see here from Mark is he wants us to take note of a few things. Firstly, people's responses to Jesus. Firstly, through this passage, he points us to the amazing faith responses that an encounter with Jesus brought about. He tells us the story of another key character in this, Peter, a fisherman. And Jesus just goes to him and says, come follow me. And then we see two other fishermen also leave their father in a boat to follow him suddenly. There's a suddenness about it. You know, and what we miss, I think, just through the historical changes that have happened, are these are people leaving everything that secured them. There was no welfare state to fall back on here, no benefits, no social housing. Family and work were your lifeline and your income, your healthcare system, your social network. Yet these guys dropped everything to follow Jesus. Do you know what? I, um, I have a lot of guy obsessions. I don't know if you recognize this in men. Do you know, like where you, something, something catches your eye. Do you know, the worst one I ever had was uh, about a teepee. I bought a teepee for myself. We had a lot of fun in it, but like, it caught my eye. There was something about this that just, it, it just caught my spirit, and I was just, I couldn't get away from it. I have to have a teepee. I have to have a teepee. Do, do any guys re- relate to this? No? Shaking your head, leaving me? Leave not a teepee, yeah, okay. Do you know, like, at the moment, at the moment, it's paddleboards. Just every opportunity, I'm leaving open uh, web pages with paddleboards on for Becky to see as I convince her that this is a good idea as well. But, but listen, I digress a little bit. The point was, listen, Jesus, Jesus caught these people's imagination in a similar way, but more so. As they saw him, they saw the genuine article. They saw something that was so inspiring, so attractive, that they were willing to leave every ounce of earthly security to turn and follow him. And Mark says, mark this as you're making your decision over whether he is fake or genuine. Mark it. Take note of it. What else do we see here? An astounding authority. He goes on just to point us here. Has anybody seen the TV series The West Wing? Yes. Yeah. I love the series. My favorite episode in the series is is the very opening episode where... Like, literally, throughout the whole, it's a political drama set in the White House. And the whole episode, everything is going just horribly wrong. Like, there's a missile crisis, there's a, there's a horrible media problem, and, and everything is just an absolute mess. And then right at the end, like, of the, 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 um, the first episode, you're introduced to the main man, President Bartlett, who you want to be your mother and your father all in one go. He's so awesome. And he walks into the room. He just takes a step into the room. 
And instantly the whole temperature of this episode calms down. And with wisdom and authority, what he does is he starts sorting these problems out straight away. Starts dealing with them. Starts going, no, do this, no, do this, no, do this. Everybody knows where they're at. And the thing, the whole thing, the whole mess of the situation starts to change. It's, it's one of the best pictures of true authority that I've seen on TV. And here in these verses, Mark is pointing us to the place. He's saying, look, understand this is what it was like when Jesus was about as well. Both people and harmful spirits just saw this genuine authority in him. Spirits that had gone unnoticed and unchallenged for years in the regions and counted Jesus and, and just his true undeniable authority and with fear they shrieked and ran. Here's the true king. People have to take notice, Mark is saying. And Mark is just saying, look, I want you as well, as readers, as people looking into whether you think Jesus is genuine or fake, to notice this as well. He came with genuine authority. When you met him, you would have seen this genuine authority. And just finally, 29 to 42. His ministry was accompanied by miraculous power and ability to wash the unclean. You know, Mark's account here of chapter 1 finishes with a number of stories of healings. Starting with the account of how Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law in his house. Then a couple of accounts of how he started healing many who were sick and afflicted by evil spirits in all the towns and villages around. And it finishes with him encountering a lone leper. Mark is simply saying, look at what happened when he was about. Not only did he have this incredible authority, not only did people follow him with genuous, not only was he prophesied about, not only did God announce him, but the incurable was cured when it came face to face with Jesus. You know, the uh, finishing story here about leprosy is really important because it actually rounds off this opening chapter in a really powerful way. You know, leprosy was no laughing matter in Jesus' time. It was the most feared disease in the region. It essentially, I've got a picture of it, just, uh, you know, there were some that I thought, actually, I can't, I can't put that up, actually, but you get an idea, don't you? It essentially rotted and disfigured your body as you lived. Living, leaving you quite literally to live like a, a, a look like a Frankenstein's monster in life. And if you contracted it in Jesus' day, it meant two things. Certain death was one of them. But also that you were seen as totally unclean, impure. You would have to live outside of society and if you're Jewish, you wouldn't be able to participate in any of the Jewish activities. Leprosy was a huge, insurmountable, unpassable wall between man and God. They were cut off from the temple, the presence of God, and couldn't participate in any of the atoning, any of the repenting, any of the sacrificial activity by which they would be made clean. It was impossible for them to get right with God because of their illness. So people didn't go near these individuals. 
let alone touch them for fear of contracting this same illness of certain death and annexing from society and from God. They didn't want to make themselves unclean and unable to access forgiveness. Yet here in the dying verses of chapter 1, we read that Jesus met a leper who was desperate to be made clean and be purified. Made clean from all the barriers between him and God. And we read Jesus didn't run. He wasn't put off by the disfigurement of this man. But instead in verse 41, he was filled with compassion. The word here means gut-wrenching compassion. He was overwhelmed with emotion for this man and did something no one would dream of. He reached out and touched him. Do you remember Mark opens this chapter with John the Locust Eater's comment that one will come after him who would cleanse not only in water but would cleanse in the power of the Holy Spirit? That when people encountered this guy, all barriers between them and God, even the worst ones, would be broken because of the power of God that was with him. In him, there would be total cleansing and restoring. Do you remember that at the beginning of this chapter? For Mark, what Jesus did with the leper was absolute proof that he was the one who brought this restoration and cleansing. There was no hurdle he would not jump. No wall he would not knock down. No filthy situation he would not reach into and restore if people put their faith, put their faith in him and asked. Do you know, one way of looking at the gospel is like this. If you look inside, we're all like the leper, separated from God in relationship and full of ugliness and brokenness and selfishness. The Bible calls this the incurable illness and massive wall of sin, which we can't change or get over and will lead to certain death. Yet because of God's gut-wrenching love and compassion for us, he sent Jesus into the muck of the world. So that whoever comes to him can be healed and cleansed of it. Washing totally clean by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mark is here saying, look, from the get-go, Jesus' walk on earth was full of the miraculous. And he showed his ability that had not been there before, and nobody showed afterwards, to make the unclean clean, no matter how dirty the situation close up here. Fake or genuine? Fake or genuine article? That's what Mark's about. And you know, when I engage with Mark here, when I look at this and I look at each of these Marks, it's why I think it's good to do the chapter together. You know, each one by themselves, I'm like, mm, yeah, all right, Mark, all right, Mark. But when you put them together, when you start to put together that there are key details of his life that are told, and that's just one of them. There are huge swathes of his life that are spoken about in the Old Testament. When you put together that God himself was the announcer of who Jesus was when he started his ministry. When you 
put in there that he beat down Satan and the king of sin in a way that nobody else had been. When you put in there that people dropped everything to follow him because he was so genuine, when you put in there the amazing authority that he displayed, when you put in there that he did the miraculous, and when you put in there that he purified the most unclean just with a touch of his hand, and when we understand that this is what Mark saw as he walked the earth, these are Mark's marks of authenticity. I think we start to see why Mark was convinced that the Ray-Ban sign was all over Jesus. I think we start to understand, no, why he didn't think that Jesus was Doris from accounts. I think we understand why he's calling all of humanity to start to trust, to look towards Jesus and look towards this point in history to see what God did, to understand to lean and put our faith in him. Now, Christianity is not a blind faith. It's a faith built on the foundation and the rock of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if you put your faith on that rock, even though the storms come, even though the challenges come, even though the worldview changes, in your day-to-day and in the great changes of the world, It will stand firm, and so will its foundation. Mark here is saying, look, these are the foundations. You can have confidence, my people, that if you stand on me, or if you come to me to stand on me, I will never put you to shame. And do you know what the exciting thing is? This is just the first chapter of his gospel. This is just the beginning of what Mark has to introduce us, has to say about the introduction to Jesus. 